Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. to invite you to turn to the book of Revelation. You'll, you'll see that printed, of course, on page five, or if you have a Bible, uh, you might want to turn to that. The last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 15, verse five, and we're going to read through to the end of chapter 16 this morning. Revelation chapter 15, and reading from verse five. After this, I looked And the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, the altar where the sacrificial animals were slain, where blood was shed, shed. Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. But they did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. 
the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. Amen. Let's pause and pray together. Heavenly Father, our prayer this morning with your word open is the same as it has always been with this most bewildering of books. Help us to meet your Son, the risen, glorious Lord Jesus. Help us to see him. Take what is written here, open it up to us by your Spirit, and change us, we pray. Fill our heads not with mere information, but our hearts with love for you. For we ask it together in Christ's precious name. Amen. Friends, what is your top priority for the coming months? What is the number one thing on your to-do list? Number one. Just broaden it a little bit. What, what should our church family's top priority be as we emerge from lockdown together? What should we set out to do? What would you say personally for you? Top of the list, a holiday? Staycation, very likely going to be, isn't it? Recovery? Vaccination? Seeing friends again? Hugging a loved one? Seeing a film at long last? Reading a book? A new job? Any job? New flat for next year? Summer camp for the kids? some DIY, read your Bible more, join a church, reconnect, join a gym, lose weight, get fit, finish school, pass assessments, get a place at university, find a partner, settle down. Friends, here we are today at Trinity, as a church family? What, what, what should we aim for together as a whole group? Fellowship together again? Tea and coffee after church at last? Think, think it through with me. What should be our priorities as a fellowship? Creche volunteers? Learning to sing again? Teaching our children? Evangelism? Discipleship, mercy ministries, our building project, giving, missions, training, Sundays, youth work, more elders, more deacons, church growth. Not, not one of any of those things on those lists, they're deliberately long. You probably wondered if I was ever going to finish. Not one of those things on those lists is wrong, friends. They are all noble 
all good, they are all wise. And if your life is like my life, if you're like me, we are a constant hive of activity, aren't we? Going after all of those things again and again. And here's what I've seen again this week as that that, that, that strange passage that we've read together, it is, as it is laying open on my desk in my study, here's what I have seen. As a Christian, it is so easy to have good and wise and noble priorities which are so different from the Lord Jesus' priority for me, for you. As you get closer and closer to the Lord Jesus, the more you understand who he is and what matters to him, and the more we align ourselves and the more we align our church with him and his priorities, every other single thing falls into place. Every single thing. So here in front of us today, chapter 15, verse 5, here is heaven opened for us. That's what John has been doing for us every single Sunday, hasn't he? He, he, He's removing the veil between this world and the heavenly world. He's removing the curtain between the world that we inhabit and the world that God inhabits. He's letting us see in the book of Revelation reality as it really is. He's showing us what is really real, really true. And chapter 15, verse 5, if God himself is opening heaven... Well, that is an invitation to know him and to see him and to love him, to to come close to him, to see him as fully as we can. So look, as before, friends, today, there is only one thing to see. I, I, I made a promise, didn't I, weeks ago in a sermon. I said there's only one point. And somebody said by the end, you still had three points, even though you said there was only one. Let me, I promise you today, one thing to see, only one. But there are seven bowls here in this chapter, aren't they? Look at the heading to chapter 16. It's printed there in the order of service in your Bible. Seven bowls of God's wrath. And friends, here's what you need to know about these seven bowls. This is not the first time you've met them. You have seen these seven bowls already. If you've been here with us, we've been working our way through the book of Revelation. You met these seven bowls, first of all, as seven seals. And then you met them as seven trumpets. And here they are today, seven plagues or seven bowls of wrath. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. That is not 21 different things, but the same thing looked at from three different angles. They are all pictures of what this world is like until the Lord Jesus comes back, comes back again. The seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, the seventh bowl is right at the end of time as Christ returns and ushers in his kingdom. Before that, the other six run through world history. Since the Lord Jesus went back to heaven and while we wait for him, to come back to us. This is what life is like. And John says to us this morning, look, you think in the seven seals and the seven trumpets, I've told you everything about world history, but I just want to show you one more thing. I want you to see it again from one more perspective. You, you, we, we, we get this all the time in the world. Sports fans, you're watching an incident, you're watching your game on TV. Uh, let's say the, the rugby game, the try in the corner, 
and you see it live from one angle, and then you get to see it from a different angle in slow motion. And then as if that's not enough, you get a third angle from up above to see the player crossing the line. You get three different pictures of the same thing, all the same thing. And after those three different angles, boy, you see it so well. It's definitely a try. No, no argument. Of course it is. John is saying to us this morning, friends, there is one more perspective on our world which we need to know, and it's this. And here's the one thing this morning, that what we have done to this world provokes the wrath of a holy God. What we have done to this world provokes the wrath of a holy God. Here today, seven bowls of wrath show us how God feels about our world history. That's the difference. Seven seals, seven trumpets are all things that we, we feel and we see and we know, but seven plagues, this is how God feels about our world. This is what our vandalism of the king's grounds does to the king. What our trashing of the garden has done to the gardener. Here in Revelation 15:5, chapter 16, the, the picture, if you like, becomes a drone sent up into the sky. The, the seven bowls show us that through the whole of human history, rebellion against God has not been left unpunished. Do you remember Romans chapter 1, verse 18? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven, is revealed, not, not will be. Present tense is revealed. Today, these seven bowls that we've read about are being poured out on the earth, even as we speak. Not, not literally, but metaphorically. Seven trumpets and the seven plagues match each other. In, in seven different ways, God is revealing that our ways in the world are not his ways. And because of that, we have drawn the anger of his holy love. So today, friends, we're not going to look at each of the bowls. If you want to know more about that, please find on our website the sermon about the seven trumpets. If you want to go through them closely, the, the seven trumpets and the seven plagues match each other. Now, instead of going through it, I want to do something different. I want to take you to the very heart of it this morning. For I suspect, as we read the passage, the seven bowls are, are, are the bit that stood out to you. Chapter 16, verse 2, So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. Harmful and painful sores came upon the people. The, the wrath of God is hard for us to get our head around, isn't it? For some of us, it is really hard. Really, Lord? Is this, is this what you're like, really? Chapter 16, verse 8, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. And, and we sit here kind of hoping that the series on Revelation will come to an end quickly so that we can invite friends to church again who don't have to hear words like this. Now, I want to take us this morning into the heart of it. So come with me to chapter 15, verse 5, where it all begins. I wonder if you missed this as we read it. I certainly missed this early on in the week. Chapter 15, verse 5. 
After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. One of the things we, we, we say at Trinity, we say it often here, you hear me say it it's on our website, is that structures tell stories. Structures tell stories. That, that's what's happening here today, isn't it? The way, the way that we are around this room, the structure of the room tells a story. Two-meter spacing says pandemic. A table here in front of us this morning, the structure tells a story. Look, it is not laid with bread and wine like it should be. The structure tells the story. We are still living in days of fasting and famine. But it is a table, the Lord's table. You have come today to a God who wants to eat with you. It's the best thing a friend does, isn't it, when they invite you around? Come for food. Come to the table. Every single time, friends, you come to church and see this table, it it sits at the front every week It is telling the story that God wants to be with you, to eat with you. So look at verse 5 and hear the structure speaking to us. I looked and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. The sanctuary of the tent of witness. This is a picture of the tent of meeting in the desert that God got the Israelites to build, the tabernacle. The tabernacle was an early model of the temple. A tent and a temple, friends, tell a story, don't they? A tent and a temple say to us, God wants to meet you. God wants to be with you. You you put a tent in the ground and you build a temple in the city so that God can come to the tent and later come to the temple. And so that you can come to them and meet him there. And in the tent, God lives in the sanctuary, the holy place. And you come to meet him there. But look, again, the structure tells a story. What is it called this time? Not the tent of meeting, but the tent of witness. Literally, it is the tent of testimony. And that word testimony means the Ten Commandments. That's what the Ten Commandments were known as. God's witness, God's testimony. God placed the Ten Commandments inside the ark, inside the tabernacle. So look what John is seeing. He's seeing God himself open the door to where God lives. And as you look in the door, you realize this is the place where the law of God is kept. The tent of witness. This is the place where everything is perfect where everything is beautiful. The Ten Commandments describe a way to be in the world that is perfect, don't they? They they witness to us that this is how things should be. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship idols. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. 
Not one of those things, friends, are bad laws, restrictive laws. No, they are beautiful, beautiful witness to us of how we're meant to live, of how the world is meant to be, of who we should be, that the law reflects the character of the one who gives it. The parent who opens the door in the morning and says to their child, to their three-year-old, off you go, have fun, closes the door, I'll see you at tea time. Such freedom is not love, is it? but destruction. God opens the door to his house and says, look, this is how the world should work. Three times we're told, did you notice in those verses, three times we're told it is a sanctuary. It is a special place, a holy place. Look at verse 8. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary. How do you meet a God like this? This is where he lives. How do you come to meet him? How do you get into the tent of witness? Well, this is not an ordinary tent, is it? It is, it is a tent of testimony to, to who God is and to who we should be. He is someone so special, so unique, so beautiful, so wonderful that we should have no other gods before him. He is so wonderful that we should not steal or lie or be unfaithful. We should be like him. Let's take the first commandment, just the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. Let me ask you this morning, 6th of June, 2021, how is that going? How is that going? Listen to the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 104 to help us. What are the duties required in that first commandment? What are the duties required in the first commandment? Answer, the duties required in the first commandment are the knowing and acknowledging of God to be the only true God and our God, and to worship and glorify him accordingly by thinking, meditating, remembering, highly esteeming, honoring, adoring, choosing, loving, desiring, fearing him, believing him, trusting in him, hoping in him, delighting in him, rejoicing in him, being zealous for him, calling upon him always, giving all praise and thanks, and yielding all obedience and submission to him with the whole person, being careful in all things to please him, and being sorrowful when in anything he is offended, and walking humbly with him. How's it going? Friends, that's just the first commandment, the first witness to how it should be with us. The Westminster Larger Catechism then asks, not just what are the duties required in the first commandment, but what are the sins forbidden in the first commandment? It is an even longer description. Here is the beauty of God's law, brothers and sisters. It always tells us what is required and what is forbidden. Did you know that about the law? When God commands one thing, he forbids its opposite. And when he forbids one thing, he commands its opposite. So do not commit adultery means be faithful. 
Love faithfulness. Cherish faithfulness. Do not commit murder means love life. Cherish one another. Oh, the law is beautiful. And it is beautiful because of the one who speaks it. Because he is beautiful. This tent is beautiful. Come in, says God, as he throws the door open. I I put the tent here. I've come to meet you. Come in. Come close. Look, structures tell stories. This whole thing witnesses to how the world should be and who you should be. Come in. Come close. Come for dinner. We look down at our hands, don't we? That we've just finished lifting up against somebody else. And we feel dirty. And then we look at our hearts where we, where we have not loved him or adored him or followed him. Come in, God says. Come to the t- Come and eat. And we want to. But we can't. You know, a few years ago, we had friends round for dinner uh, in our house. And one of their kids, while the adults were talking around the table and the kids were off doing what they do, one of their children broke the dining room window with a basketball. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever been that parent in someone else's house? Some of you have. I, I have never yet seen a parent say to their child in that, in that situation, I've never seen a parent say, oh, don't worry, it could have been worse. At least it's not our own house. You know, go, go on, go on, do another one. Though someone else's child breaks something in your house and you know you have one job and it is to stop the parents handing their own child into the police, isn't it? The parents feel terrible, don't they? Look, look what you've done. This isn't ours. Look what you've done to someone else's tent. What, what have we done to God's tent? His world. What does where God lives cry out, testify to us about where we live? What have we done to his beautiful law? To his beautiful world? To his beautiful character? I was typing this at four o'clock on Friday afternoon, panicking as usual. Four o'clock Friday afternoon, and I clicked right at that moment on the BBC website and just clicked on headlines for England. Okay, this is four o'clock Friday afternoon, headlines. Police forces agree Hillsborough cover-up payout. Hillsborough cover-up. Images of Hyde Park stabbing suspects released. Two in court over boys stabbing murder. Drug takers caught after undertaking the police on the M6. Man in court accused of murdering mother and son. Oh, come in. Come in, says God. I I want to meet you. Come into my tent. And we can't. No one can. And, And we realize, friends, don't we, that if we were to project up onto this white screen behind my head, if we were to put up there on this screen everything in the past week we have done to God's law, we would each be so sure it would stain the wall. Wouldn't we? Don't we? 
We want to go in to meet a beautiful God. But we can't for look what comes out of where God is. Look what comes out of where God is. Verse 6, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. One of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. You see, the point is, only things that can, only things come out of here that are pure and clean. What comes out of this tent of meeting is what happens when who God is comes into contact with who we are. God's holiness means that when he touches the world, if you like, the reaction in God is wrath. It is the result of his holiness. Holiness is what God is in the fullness of his perfections. Holiness is the crown that God wears on all his other attributes. Holiness is God's beauty. A holy God means a beautiful God. Do you remember King David, Psalm 27? One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Brothers and sisters, What is Jesus' priority today for you and for me and for our church family, for, for your church family if you're visiting today, wherever you're from, across our nation, across the world, what is the priority of the Lord Jesus for his people? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Isn't that right? Lord, 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 teach us to pray. How, how should we pray? How should we come to God? What, what do we say to him? Call him Father. He lives in heaven. And ask him to hallow his name. Ask him to set his name apart as holy in all the world for everybody to know him for who he is. It's why it's printed here, why we're going to say it together in just a moment. It is why we say it together every single Sunday. Hallowed be your name. Brothers and sisters, this morning, some of you I know very well. Some of you I don't know at all. I haven't even met. Let me say confidently to each of us, there is nothing you need more today than to see God freshly in his holiness. Nothing you need more. To know who he is, to to recognize afresh that all that is happening in our world, everything that is happening from the pandemic to Stonewall eating itself alive to churches that have lost the gospel long ago and now look more like the world than even the world itself, everything that is happening in our world is the result of our rebellion against God and God giving people over to what they want. Oh, there is nothing that will do you more good deep in your soul than to realize that God's top priority in the world is not you. It's not me. But it is his holy name being known. 
brothers and sisters, coming out of lockdown, I want you to, I want you to take all your list of things that we began with, all, all the list, list of things that Trinity needs as we move forward cautiously together, reconnecting fellowship. No, we need God. We need God to see him, to love him, to de- desire him, to adore him, to fall before him, and everything else will take care of itself. Everything. Take your greatest longing for you personally this morning and take the list. Maybe there's only one thing. Maybe there's a hundred things on it. Take the list. Put it all underneath seeing God. Everything else will take care of itself. Isn't this what this is, this passage? This, This whole passage is about God's holiness, isn't it? Friends, don't see the bowls and miss who it is that sends them why he sends them. Look at chapter 16, verse 5. Just are you, O Holy One. You see it right at the heart of what's happening. O Holy One. It's Isaiah chapter 6, isn't it? Isaiah in the temple as he sees just the trailing edge of the Lord's train in the temple, the trailing edge of his glory, and the very, very foundations of the temple shake. Holy, holy, holy. The angels have six wings. With two they're flying. With two they cover their feet. And with two wings they cover their faces. Angels, sinless beings, cannot even look at him. In all their purity, they cannot even look. Holy, holy, holy. This is, this is God's difference from you and me. His, his separateness from everything that is wrong in the world. That, that's what the word holy means. He is infinitely set apart. And he is holy three times over. You know, that, that's the Hebrew way of underlining something and then putting it in bold and then putting it in capitals. It's an intensifying phrase to say it three times. You cannot get more holy than this. And it is an amazing thing. The Bible never says that God is love, love, love. Or mercy, mercy, mercy. He is holy. It is the crown on all his other perfections. So much so, Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, Mary, when she opens her mouth to sing, she says, Holy is his name. It's who he is. His very being is holy. So let me ask us again this morning as we sit here together, how are we going to get to this God? How are we going to get to him? Your tradition has it, doesn't it, that when the high priest went into the sanctuary, into the most holy place, on the day of atonement once a year, they tied a rope around his ankle so that if he was struck dead in the presence of God, they could retrieve his body, pull him out. Someone has said that we must realize that in the Bible, when people get a glimpse of God, they don't say, wow. They say, woe. Woe is me, for I am undone. It's why hell is real. It's why hell exists. Hell is not the absence of God. No, hell is the presence of God, but without an altar, without a mediator. 
Hell is the presence of God where his love still functions by giving men and women what they want and what they deserve. Did you notice verse 8 of our chapter? They were scorched by the, verse 9, they were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had the power over these plagues. They did not repent. Same thing again in verse 11. The judgments on the world throughout history, this this pandemic that has wreaked havoc on the earth, how many of our friends has it made turn outwards to others and outward to God? Has it made us as a nation see ourselves truly for who we are, for what we've done to God and his world? Has it made us glorify God or has it made us more self-protecting. Ask yourself, have you done more for others this past year or less? No, we, we, we turn inwards to protect, don't we? And at the end in hell, Revelation says, at the end there will be no one there who has not chosen it. And at the same time, friends, notice this is not merely human causation. Look where the angels come from. They come from the sanctuary. Chapter 16, verse 1, the creatures give them the bowls from God. Chapter 16, verse 1, I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. This is God's righteous, holy, settled indignation at what we have done to ourselves and to each other. So what do we do? What do we do? These bowls, these plagues sent on the earth. Did you notice, friends, the imagery of drinking that's here? We're, we're about to drink together. You're going to take this little flimsy cup In your hand, in just a moment, we're going to eat and drink. Look at chapter 16, verse 19. Chapter 16, verse 19. The great city was split into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. See, when God wants to picture his wrath and judgment, he says, it's like a bowl that I'm going to pour out on the earth. It's like a cup that I'm going to ask people to drink. It's like a bitter cup. It's not a foreign image to us. We do it all the time, or we used to anyway, didn't we, at weddings. There's toast. You, You raise your glass to toast to different people's health. And in the glass is not just water, is it? It's champagne or something special. It's It's a symbol of the very best of life. We eat it and drink it together. The full cup of wine is a cup that symbolizes blessing. But of course, cups can be full of poison as well as wine, can't they? And so often in the Bible, that's how it's used. Cup is a a picture way of referring to God's judgment and anger on sin. Friends, today there is no other answer to this than drinking the cup of God's anger. That window in our dining room when it was broken, although there was great assurance that everything was okay, we were still friends, they'd still be welcome next week again. When they left, the window was still broken. Someone had to pay, someone had to fix it. And so, brothers and sisters, this little 
cup that we hold and drink, that we're about to do together, has this has become for us the most wonderful picture. For it is not a picture of these cups in Revelation that you've got open in front of us, but we will eat and drink together in just a moment, friends. Here's why. Because the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, has taken this cup, the cup in Revelation, the cup that Babylon drinks in verse 19, he has taken this cup, the cup of the wine of the fury of God's wrath, and drunk it for us drained it empty for us. And they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Do you remember? The Lord Jesus' sorrow in that garden is as great a sorrow as a man could bear. His fear is convulsive and paralyzing. And the reason is not because of the fear of dying. Many men have faced death more serenely than the Lord Jesus faced death. Many ordinary men. No, the fear in the Lord Jesus is because of drinking to the dregs the wrath and the anger of God at sin. Abba, Father, he cried, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Take away the cup of your wrath. We can put it like this, can't we? Someone has said the wonder of Jesus' love for you is not that he faced death for our sake without fear. No, the wonder of his love is precisely that he faced death terrified. Martin Luther said, no one feared death so much as this man. You know that when Moses saw the glory of God on Mount Sinai, so terrifying was the sight that he trembled in fear. But that was God in covenant, God in grace. What Christ saw in Gethsemane was God with the sword raised. The sight was unbearable. And so, friends, I want to say to you today, dear friend, I want to say as we finish, come and eat Come and drink. You see what the altar says? Verse 7, chapter 16. I heard the altar saying. Isn't that amazing? The altar speaking. Altars don't speak, do they? But structures tell stories. Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments as Christ's blood is shed. For all our window-breaking, covenant-breaking law trampling, one another hating. Christ takes out his hand, receives from his Father the cup of his anger. And so, brothers and sisters, come and drink. Come and eat, for Christ has drunk the cup of God's anger in our place, your place and mine. For his people, the cup is empty. Amen.